Well, it might be hard to believe, but we come to the final Sunday of our church year, our liturgical year this morning. And each year, everything culminates in this great feast of Christ the King. And it gives us all an opportunity to reflect, to consider the kingship of Jesus, the power, the authority, the sovereignty, the lordship of Jesus in our world, in our country, in our parish, but of course, first and foremost, in our own hearts. What does it mean for Jesus to be king? And on this great feast, we're given the privilege of a rather obscure first reading from a rather obscure prophet, from a rather obscure chapter, the 34th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel. I think it'd be helpful as we consider what does it mean for Jesus to be king by first looking at this reading from Ezekiel. Some context, I think, would be helpful. Ezekiel is a prophet, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, so somebody chosen by God to speak a message calling the people of Israel back to faithfulness. But Ezekiel is prophesying at one of the darkest points in history of Israel. What do I mean by that? Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple ransacked, and those who remain in Israel have been arrested and brought to slavery by a foreign nation, Babylon. Dark, dark point in Israelite history. And what Ezekiel tries to help us see, and the people of Israel that time to see, is how did this happen? How could this have happened? How could the holy city of Jerusalem, the temple, God's place of dwelling among his people, how could this have happened? And Ezekiel points to two things. He first says, well, there's this thing called a foreign nation that invaded, right? And doesn't this happen even in our own time, right, everyone? When something tragic happens, what do we say? How could we have let this happen? And the power of a foreign nation came and invaded. But God doesn't let the people of Israel off the hook and just say Babylon's the reason. No. What else does he point to for the reason Israel was captured? What was the other thing that caused this? Did you catch it? Poor leadership. Bad governance. In Ezekiel's words, wicked shepherds of Israel. This wasn't in the first reading, but let me show it to you in case you don't believe me. Woe, shepherds of Israel, you've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the crippled you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. God goes right after the leadership of Israel and say, you have done a poor job. Okay. What is God's response then? How does God, what is God's next move? Well, enter the first reading. Listen to this, everyone. God says, I myself will look after and tend my sheep. I will rescue them. I myself will pasture my sheep. 
I will give them rest, says the Lord God. What will God do? He says, enough of you losers of Israel. I'm going to come, and I will rule, and I will shepherd, and I will pasture, and I will feed. What does that sound like? Can you think of a better way of preparing for Christmas? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is God breaking into humanity to shepherd his people. That is who Jesus is. And what happened in a humble manger of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, that event was prophesied by Ezekiel 600 years before when he said, I myself will tend my sheep. Who is the good shepherd? Jesus. Now, let's press this further. This is what God says. The loss I will seek. The strayed I will bring back. The injured I will bind up. The sick I will heal. Does that not sound like the ministry and teaching of Jesus? Seeking the lost? Bringing back those who have strayed? Binding up the injured? Healing the sick? Is that not what Jesus does? Is that not who Jesus is? The good shepherd. But let's press it further. Not only in his teaching in public ministry for three years in Israel did Jesus do this. What does he do after his resurrection? He calls his disciples and he says, go. He sends us. He establishes a church. And what does the church then do? We continue the saving mission of Jesus with, with Christ as the head and we, the members of his body, the church. Jesus then continues, right, to seek out the lost. Through who? Through the church. He continues to bring back those who have strayed. Through whom? Through the church. And you might be asking, Father, what does this look like on the ground? What does this look like practically? I can think of no better place than this wonderful gospel that Deacon Terry just proclaimed. I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Imprisoned, you visited me. Sick, you comforted me. Everyone, isn't that incredible to think? That God's promise of providing a good shepherd continues in the church through our willingness to be a part of the church. That is an incredible thing to consider. And so on this Feast of Christ the King, I want to end with an image that I found helpful for many years. Maybe you will too. I know I've shared it before. Every single one of us has a heart. In Scripture, the heart is the symbol of the center of the person. Every heart, bear with me here, has a throne on it. What happens from the king's throne? The king rules, doesn't he? He rules his kingdom from his throne. Where are our lives ruled from? From the throne of our heart. The question for us is, who's on it? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Is it someone else? Is it myself, my ego, my plans? 
Is it my attachments, my addictions? Is it some unhealthy relationship that is not good for me? Is it my fears, my anxieties, my worries? If you imagine your heart and a throne on your heart this morning, who is sitting on that throne of your heart? This feast of Christ the King is a chance for all of us to say, Jesus is Lord, he is King, and I want him to be sitting on the throne of my own heart.